He's not a pacifist. <laughs> He's not a pacifist at all. He takes the fight to the enemy. He dispossesses Satan of his kingdom. He is not some hippie who espouses peace at the expense of chains and slavery. That's not who Jesus is. There's no tradition of that. The first sign we have of hippie Jesus is in the hippie era. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Living Fullness. I'm Stina Constantine and joining me on the podcast is Father Sean Burns. Each week you'll hear us chat about a range of topics from virtue to relationships, comments on cultural shifts and lessons that we're learning as we go along and we are so happy to have you join us. So sit back and enjoy being part of a conversation with a couple of friends. Hey Padre, how are you going? Very well, thank you Stina. Are yourself? I'm doing well. Things look a little bit different. We're remote recording today. Tell us why, Padre. Where are you? I'm at home. I'm at home with my parents and my sister and her children and her husband. And I am in Mufti. Not doing a whole lot at the moment. (laughs) Just taking a few days off. So, uh, um, but, uh, and and, uh, if you can hear anything in the background, dear listeners, it's my nephews and nieces. They're uh, they're they're watching the chosen, and uh, and oh, so it's, awesome. it's the, the lounge room is right next door. So awesome, but, uh, awesome. Yeah. So yeah. if we get interrupted, so, it's the chosen interrupting us. It's the chosen interrupting us exactly. How are you going, Cena? What have you been up to? Well, you told me already. You've been house sitting. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm doing well too. Yeah, yeah. You're not listening. <laughs> no. Clearly, well, yes, clearly. I am house sitting actually. Um, house sitting at the moment for someone that I've house sat for a long time, but they've just moved house. So this is the first time I've house sat in their new house. Other than that, I have been reading our next book study book, which has been really cool. So I've kind of got a bit of a head start here, but um, I think that's okay. So if, um, I don't think we've actually announced to people, have we? Have we announced to our community? I don't think we have. Oh, okay. Here we go. Announcement central. All righty. Well, get another Jacques Philippe book because we are about to begin a book study um, from another one of his mini books called In the School of the Holy Spirit. So we'll start that in about three weeks time, which should hopefully Mm. be enough time for people to go and purchase a book from your bookstore, local bookstore, or there's eBooks available as well if the um, postage is going to take too long to get to wherever you are. But again, it is a Mm. very small book, fairly affordable price. Um, So go ahead and get that and we'll start the book study in three weeks time. Awesome. I am looking forward to it. It's a good book. What are we talking about today, Padre? We are talking about Turn the Other Cheek, that instruction from Jesus about nonviolence. Yeah. So what do we think it means? I think sometimes um, people, like I've heard several people, both in my counselling sessions and outside of my counselling sessions, often use this line as a way of suggesting that their desire to want a more just outcome is not good enough. So, you know, someone might have said something or done something or repeatedly do things that hurt them in a particular relationship and they'll say, you know, it doesn't feel good, it doesn't, you know, it's not this, it doesn't seem right and then they'll say, but, you know, Jesus says just turn the other cheek, so I should just turn the other cheek, right? Like I should just, that should just be the way that, it should be, right? Like, obviously, I'm just complaining. I'm just whinging. I'm just, you know, throwing yeah, a yeah. minimizing. 
what's going on. That's really the complete opposite of what our Lord is talking about because our Lord, the ultimate command that our Lord gives us is the commandment to love. That's the ultimate commandment that he gives to us. And so if someone is is acting in a manner which is contrary to the law of charity, then it's actually incumbent upon us to speak to that person and to point out to that person actually what you're doing is uncharitable and not in accord with the law of the gospel. Uh, so, so to just sort of be a, a doormat for people is 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 not the meaning of this uh, particular statement. Uh, in fact, such an interpretation would uh, would fly in the face of our Lord's command to love and to proclaim His gospel to all nations. So, as a as a first question, there's a, a question that I'd like to clear up. It has a very short answer, and that question is: Is Jesus a pacifist? And the answer to that question is <laughs> no, no. He's not a pacifist. He's not a pacifist at all. He takes the fight to the enemy. He dispossesses Satan of his kingdom. He is not some hippie who espouses peace at the expense of chains and slavery. That's not who Jesus is. Mm. Uh, you know, th th that's, that is just not there's, – there's no tradition of that. The first, the first sign we have of hippie Jesus is in the hippie era. The notion of a Jesus who is is kind of uh, pacifist by nature, who's just you know does not engage in any battle, does not engage in any fight. Uh, well, he's not in the gospel because he overturns tables in a temple, right? I mean, it's it's uh, so I, I don't know who this pacifist Jesus is that some people talk about. He's he's not the Jesus in the gospels. He's not the Jesus of the fathers. He's not the Jesus of the medieval theologians. He's not the Jesus of the the good and faithful servants who've passed on the faith throughout the ages. Uh, he's he's so I have no idea where this notion of pacifist Jesus comes from. Mm. Um, so no, yeah. Jesus is not a pacifist, but he's also not the kind of guy who is pro-violence either. So how do mm -hmm. we how do we roll with this? How do we how do we more fully understand this? What does it actually mean? I guess though, um, before we go on to that, one of the things you know you were listing there, all the things that Jesus is not, um, but I guess the pacifist Jesus or the pacifist version of Jesus is the one that's more comfortable with the culture that we have and the society that we have. It's much more comfortable to have someone who just seems to be very, you know, calm and um, takes the, the less messy route, <laughs> the less confronting route that asks little of us. That's much more comfortable and much more easier to digest than the Jesus who dares to ask us to lay down our lives <laughs> for another. Like, <laughs> That's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's that's a very very good point. The easier of the of the options to take up, absolutely. I guess then going to the question that you're asking is so what does what does that actually mean? How does turning the other cheek actually look in our lives, especially if you know if we're expected to take? Or are we? You know, firstly, are we expected to take hit after hit? Is that the idea? behind turning the other cheek. Mm. And if that was the idea, then I think we would have issues around accountability. Like what, what would even be the point of having someone hold us accountable to anything if all we ever needed to do was just take another hit? We actually need people to tell us the truth. And sometimes the truth can be really hard. It can be a really mm. challenging thing for us to hear. And if, especially if it's not dealt or if it's not actually given to us in the most sensitive 
of way. And even when it is sometimes given to us in the mm. most sensitive of ways, it can still feel really painful. It can still really hurt us, like as in emotionally feel hurt mm. by what, what's been said. But that doesn't make the truth a bad thing. That doesn't mean that they've done harm onto us. They've actually done a good thing by holding us accountable, by making, you know, certain things clearer for us, giving us the gift of clarity. But sometimes that can be uncomfortable and that can hurt. Right, right. It can feel like a slap in the face. Yeah. Yeah. But this is also where we need boundaries too because we can't have these relationships where people are constantly telling us what we're not doing well or, you know, constantly pulling us up on things or telling us that this is the way things should be. We need boundaries in every single relationship. You know, that's the way to love another is to know what boundary we actually operate in. To be able to love another well, we need to know what boundaries we're actually operating in within every relationship. So it's not love to say, yeah, sure, do whatever, whenever, however you want to do that. Like there's no freedom in that. That that will create chaos total and utter chaos. And that's exactly the stuff that's going to keep us enchained. That's going to keep us being like slaves. Absolutely. There was a, a theologian by the name of René Girard. And um, René Girard talks about this idea of, of mimetic violence. And uh, he, he makes the point that pretty well since the fall, in order to deal with the hurt and pain and envy and all that stuff that we experience on a pretty much a day-to-day -day basis that results from 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 sin we seek to scapegoat we seek to blame someone else for our own predicament in order to create some semblance of peace and uh, we we can sort of see that um, you know two people might be disagreeing about something and and as as things start to escalate Instead of holding to their principles, they begin to copy each other's temper and outburst, and that eventually escalates into something that would look like a full-blown physical or verbal fight. And the motivation behind trying to outdo the other is a fear that not doing so would mean that we're somehow losing, we're missing out on something, and you know, we lose credibility, we lose power, we're humiliated, we're embarrassed. And so the easiest thing to do here is to blame this other person and, and win this particular exchange. Similarly, in, in a similar fashion, a man who's experienced a betrayal in friendship, well, he might scapegoat all other friends that he has by treating them as though they will also betray him. And therefore, he tries to control every friendship in the most minute fashion. Uh, that's almost like he's the vengeance that he's enacting upon these other friends because of one friend's betrayal. So mm. it's there's sort of a, uh, there's this cycle within the human race of placing blame in some way, shape, or form on someone else in order to create some semblance of peace in our lives. Turning the other cheek breaks this cycle, and it opens us up to vulnerability by proposing forgiveness and nonviolence as an answer to betrayal. Now, Jesus is the ultimate scapegoat who overturns the entire system of violence in answer to violence by allowing himself to become the scapegoat. He offers himself as the scapegoat. His willing death then actually succeeds where all other attempts at scapegoating fail. He brings resolution 
to mimetic violence, that is copying violence, like the two people who are arguing, you know, one person trying to outdo the other person, seeing seeing betrayal in one person and expecting it in everybody else. It undoes this mimetic violence and offers to men something powerful, something tangible, something which we might call mimetic charity. He offers us a different way forward, right? Something else to imitate so Mm. that instead of perpetuating the cycle of violence or perpetuating the cycle of blame, we end the cycle by, by charity. And that's really, you know, in in Matthew's gospel where he says, turn the other cheek, what he's really talking about here is charity to the nth degree. You know, it's, it's, it's literally an exaggeration that he provides of charity. He's not literally saying you must turn the other cheek when someone strikes you. What he's, what he's actually saying is, no, you are to not fall into the same cycle of this world, the cycle of of sort of mimicking one another's violence and mimicking one another's betrayals. You're actually to sit outside of that and to provide a different example. You know, so you're not meant to be caught up in that. Doesn't mean one can't defend oneself. It's it's in in, in fact mm. it's quite licit for us to defend ourselves. What it simply means is that we are not to to seek vengeance and retribution and control in the way that historically man has constantly done. One of the things that um, sits underneath what uh, Renee is also talking about here is the fear of a scarcity of resources. So, you know, even that need for power or, you know, the fear that the power will be lost, that you'll become so vulnerable, the other person will overpower you or the fear of the loss of pride or, you know, your social standing or whatever it might be. The underlying belief is that there is not enough in the world for everyone. Like that's what sits underneath all of that. So it's a fear, it's a fear bound place, which for us as Christians, like that is so far, so far from the truth. Like, sure, maybe maybe the earthly resources may be scarce in some ways. Sure, fine. But like our heavenly treasures, infinite, absolutely mm. infinite. And, and they can actually be, like we're told that we can store those up, but that happens by placing our hope somewhere else than in this place of fear that leads us to self-sufficiency. So in order for us to do that, you know, we actually need to be rooted in some place else, not in this place of fear that there isn't going to be enough to go around, that I have to take from the other, that control that you're talking about. I have to have power and control over the other person because there just isn't enough to go around. That's an outright outright lie. Yeah, absolutely. No, very well said. Yeah, no, you're you're right. It comes from a place of fear, a fear of of loss, a fear Mm. of scarcity. Uh, and uh, and our Lord is always clear with us. Fear is not our our uh, to use modern parlance. Fear is not our operating system. Have you got something from that? It was a bit of a ramble from us, but I think it was worthwhile ramble. <laughs> yeah, let us know what you yeah. thought. Whether you agree, disagree. Um, maybe you heard something you hadn't heard before. Maybe you'd like us to oh. explore a particular thing that we've said today that maybe we've oh. not done particularly well, or you'd like to see us do more of, let us know. All right. Well, so um, Stina was talking about the the book study earlier in the episode, and uh, I'm just going to give you a little reminder here, go and get the book. Uh, It's on Amazon, on Kindle. (laughs) 
Uh, it's on um, Google Books, and I haven't checked iBooks, but I imagine it's probably on iBooks too. So go and get it. And also, if you can get a, a physical copy, get that as well. Like, just uh, we recommend you get the book and have a read of it and be prepared for the book study and come with questions too. Like, if you read ahead, come with questions and, and we'll we'll see what um, see what kind of discussion we can get going as a community. Yeah, for sure. And make sure you jump over and follow all of our social media handles as well, virtue.ministry on Instagram or Virtue Ministry on Facebook and Living Fullness on Instagram to stay up to date about when, you know, things might be happening in our ministry space as well. So before we go, our truth, beauty, and goodness, Padre. Yeah, um, for me, it's a it's a book called "What Is Redemption" uh, by Philippe Dalla Trinite. I uh, don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly or not. Um, so, uh, but uh, it's a my understanding is that it's it's a book that's quite old and has been republished, and uh, it's it's uh, basically a a look at all of the mistaken notions surrounding the redemption and that particularly come from sort of Jansenist Catholicism or that come from the Protestant Reformation. And it's really cool. I suggest people check it out. It is awesome. Yeah. How about yourself? Sounds intriguing. Ah, uh, for me, this is going to sound really bizarre, but it was this moment that I had. I've been quite sick for the last little while, um, just recovering, as in when I say quite sick, just sick for a long period of time. And so as I was sort of, you know, laying in bed recovering, (laughs) um, most of my like formal prayer practices had dropped off just because it was too tiring to be able to keep up with them all falling asleep (laughs) during most of them. And I just kind of like battled through a few that I was like, okay, it's okay that I have to drop some of these things that are in my usual day to day. I can't do those, but these other ones, I really want to stick to them. And so I'm pushing my way through, pushing my way through, pushing my way through. I was about two days in and I got to this point towards the end of the day. And I just like put my head down on the pillow and I'd, you know, I'd powered through these particular formal prayers. And then I laid there and I was like, Oh Jesus, I feel like it's been so long since I talked to you. I just sat there like, why? <laughs> why does it feel like it's been so long? And I realized, because I haven't really been praying. Like I was sick and all I was doing is rattling words. I wasn't really praying. I wasn't trying to connect with him. I was too tired and too worn out. And it was in that moment that I was like, okay, now I'm finally praying. <laughs> yeah. It only yeah. lasted a few minutes before I fell asleep. But I woke up going, oh, that was good. Like, why didn't I just yeah. give up on all of these other formal prayers, which there is nothing wrong with them and they are beautiful. But when you're not capable of doing them because you're unwell, like why? Why battle with it? Just drop it because there are more beautiful ways that he wants to connect. So it was just one of those simple lessons that are being relearned <laughs> for me. That was a truth, beauty, and goodness for me. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Very good. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, that's another episode of uh, Living Fullness. We hope you got something good, something useful, something that was um, interesting for you this week. We will catch you again next week. But until then, know of our love and prayers. 